happy holidays and a happy new year, Frank Krueger. Happy new year to you too. Uh, it's going to be a good one, right? 2019, it seems like a prime number. Prime numbers are good. It's going to be a good year. I said last year was an even year, so it's going to be a good year. Prime numbers are better. Prime numbers are better. And I just, the 2019 just feels like a great, just going to be better. Maybe. I hope, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get political, but some there's some changes coming. So I'm happy about it, Frank. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. That's about as political as we ever get there is that one sentence. <laughs> That's true. I did go see um, over the holiday break, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie on the basis of sex. Oh, wow. Uh, it is extremely well put together, very good movie, uh, just in general. I even brought tears to my eyes at the end, both Heather and I. So uh, if you're in a in a place, I just went to the AMC, so the AMC had it. You don't even have to go to a little indie place or anything like that. Highly recommend it. Very good flick. Well, that's awesome. I didn't even know it existed, and I definitely don't know the story. So yeah, I'm there. Sounds good. Wow. Holiday recommendation already. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. Yes. Holiday explosion. You went back last year and you noted that we did sort of two holiday episodes. We did a, a kind of a Christmas holiday extravaganza and then a New Year's extravaganza. And this year, it's very peculiar because episode <laughs> 130 is on the 31st. And now it's going to be a new year. And then the last episode was the day before Christmas. So it kind of is weird alignment per se. But with each episode of base 10, we do these lightning talks. So if you're new to the podcast, well, welcome first. Thank you so much. And thank you for that five star review on Apple Podcasts. But every 10 episodes, we you know let all of our listeners give us topics. So we went to Twitter, we went to our Patreon Discord, and we said, hey, give us topics. And each of them you know, five or six of them we'll cover for five minutes each. So we do these lightning rapid kind of talks, which are super fun. Yeah. And I always love these. Um, it used to be a, a solution to us not having to pick a topic, but then we realized it's actually five times the work. And that just makes it even more exciting because we have to be on the ball and answer the questions clearly, no digressions, just be on the nose. So I'm excited. And I, uh, as we always know, just love getting topics from people. I love knowing what people are interested in and what they're thinking about. So this is this is fun times. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm always interested to think what what other things do people want us to talk more about? And Hmm. looking at the topics that people submit, there's definitely other topics that we're not covering that maybe people want to hear from us. So this is the perfect opportunity to go in depth. So this one is a little bit special because it is our kind of holiday extravaganza, (laughs) if you will. So we're going to do five five-minute topics. So that's 25 minutes of straight different topics into your eardrums. And then we are going to do a longer little lightning talk. I don't know how long it will go. We're not putting a time (laughs) cap on it, uh, which is from our good friend Samir. So also listener submitted everything besides one, which was James submitted, is a listener (laughs) submitted uh, question or topic. How exciting. Yeah. Yeah, we have to do the year-end review. It's it's just required. Numerology aside, calendar aside, it's good to reflect back on the past. But yes. let's do it, man. Let's get into this puppy. Yes. Well, the first one came from our Patreon supporter, Damien. He asked, hey, you know, you talk often about C-sharp and all the brand new C-sharp features, and that's fun and fancy, but there's a lot of other languages such as F-sharp and, and Swift and Colin, mm-hmm. all these other things. You know, and since we are C sharp peach people, what other features would we like in C sharp since we have experience with these other programming languages? That's a good question. So I'll figure I'll mm-hmm. let you go, Mr. Functional Programmer. Oh, <laughs> I get to go. Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be functional. You know, I'm an object oriented programmer too. And you know what? I'm going to start out along that, that vein. Um, I want first class language support for data binding, two way data binding. We have the assignment statement for saying at this moment in time, make sure these two things are equal. I want a way to say for all time, forever, these two things are equal, make things happen. And certainly we have tons of support for this in libraries. Xamarin Forms has it baked in, WinForms has it baked in, Uh, you know, JSON.net is data binding. But wouldn't it be nice if the language actually supported it? We had one official channel and was fast and efficient and could make certain guarantees about the data binding. Unfortunately, I brought this topic up to Mads once and he gave me that crooked eye look and he's like, really, Frank? Really? 
I think the <laughs> the language people are kind of like, ah, oh, the libraries are doing a fine job, but I really think it, it could be a language feature. Other than that, I will throw a functional one at you. Record support, that is um, immutable uh, data objects that automatically have equals and get hash code already implemented for you. Just lightweight syntax for creating immutable data objects. It's a small ask and they've certainly considered it over and over again. So that one we might actually get, but at the same time as we talked about with value tuples they kind of uh took the what's the took the wind out of the sails whatever you know because you can do so much stuff with those things (laughs) yeah for me there are only a few different features that intrigue me i guess uh one thing and maybe you're kind of hinting on this with i do like the idea of first class mvvm support and that is really Mm -hmm. important to me one thing that um that freaking Kotlin kind of rubs in our face is that kind of modern class development. So the data class representation. And what I mean by that is when you think of a data class, so you have, I'm looking at like, you know, some Kotlin documentation, they have Mm -hmm. like student, you have a name and you have an age, and then you're going to have the property setters for, you know, name, first name, last name, age, and you have to do all of this boilerplate. And a lot of that gets long if you, have MVVM stuff built right in. Well, in Kotlin, at least, you can put this sort of thing that says data class instead of just class. And then instead of defining all of your gets and sets, I guess the compiler does it for you automatically. And I'm sure people are gonna be like, James, this is totally doable via this extension (laughs) method. Install this thing. No, no, I don't want that. Is that that. what we sound like to you? Is that what we sound like, James? <laughs> That's what I sound like in my own head when I'm talking, when I'm complaining to people. So this is okay. just me. So, uh, you know, and and for that, what I like there is is then you can just say internal name, val name, string, and it does it all for you. So you define what your class looks like in this sort of longer constructor. And I don't want that for everything, but I would like that option when it's shorter classes, for instance. And I think that is one where Kotlin is a really nice language feature just in general. Uh, and, and that sort of uh, impressed me a little bit. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to look into that one. I don't know the details, but of course, F-sharp supports that already. Uh, of course. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that that sounds fun. It's funny that we keep talking about dumb data objects in these object-oriented languages where we're supposed to add behavior to objects, but we really do just want some dumb um dumb places to store data sometimes, especially when you're running functional programs because your data is not supposed to be smart. So it's just funny how the world goes around like that. Yeah, and to, for people, we'll talk about it later, but people that are getting started with development, this having to write very verbose code isn't necessarily conducive to um, getting started. Yeah. You, you know, so that's one thing I think about. Oh, so I'll add one more just to throw it in at the last minute. I love doing this. Uh, TypeScript has beautiful type system, which is called structural typing. It's kind of if it quacks like a duck and swims like a duck kind of typing. And I wish uh, C Sharp had a little bit of that or a little bit more type inference. But these are wish list items. You know, I really don't feel like the language is holding me back these days anymore in this regard. I, I really like C Sharp's type system. No, I agree. I believe that uh, in general. I'm, I'm- really really happy there is like in swift there's that swift json serialization deserialization thingy that they have i'm pretty sure Mm. that's like built in can we just get like better json support i know they're working on it but like i want that to be first class in c sharp bring system system serialization back you know i always love dot net serialization i wish we still had it yeah bring it back bring it back all right, well, the next one, Frank, is from me. And, and to be honest, it's not just from me. This is from uh, Twitter as well. I forget mm-hmm. who prompted the question. But the question was more around, yet again, we're coming back to it every single year, Frank. .NET standard <laughs> libraries versus shared projects. Duke it out. Go. Oh, boy. All right. Deathmatch. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give the same advice I think I've been giving pretty consistently. I hope I've been consistent on this one. I'm going to have to check the record now. I, uh, I use shared projects all the time. And what I use them for is 
bouncing code between iOS apps and Mac apps because iOS and Mac are so similar to each other. It's really just the UI framework that changes out from underneath you. And I'm lazy and I hate maintaining multiple projects and that kind of stuff. So I totally use shared projects. Uh, Another place where this comes up for me is extensions in iOS. Uh, You just, you need your same data objects in both the extension and in your main app. And it just makes sense to me to just toss that stuff into a shared project. And the big difference here is um, .NET standard cannot access platform stuff. So, you know, apps access platform stuff, and that's why I use shared projects with it, whereas .NET standard libraries for me are for libraries that are cross-platform that I'm distributing to the world. But if I'm not doing that, if it's not a library, if I'm not distributing to the world, if it's not cross-platform, shared projects, no problem. Yeah, so for me, I say in, in almost every opportunity, every chance you get, attempt first to go to a .NET standard library for your shared code between your iOS and Android and Windows apps. I think the things that you just stated, Frank, are great use cases, which I'm going to get to because I'm not against shared projects, but there are Mm -hmm. advantages to .NET standard libraries, such as faster build and compilation times, sometimes, because of how shared projects work and that the team is optimizing for .NET standard Xamarin Forms applications. <laughs> so yeah. you're right. You're right, though. .NET standard libraries are great for sharing libraries across different projects. And in fact, if you want to create reusable UI structures like pages or controls, you're going to have to put those into a .NET standard library of some sort. And ship them around. You can't ship around random. You could ship around random code files like Frank does, I'm sure. But, you know, that (laughs) is going to make it easier for you to nuke it up. Now, for me, you're right. .NET standard libraries are the library, the DLL that's created. And without multi-targeting, which is a a special feature, uh, which takes your .NET standard library, by the way, and turns it into not a .NET standard library. (laughs) There's definitely one in there, but really what you're doing there is enabling to scaffold, instead of scaffolding out three or four different libraries for different project heads, it just shoves it into one and the build system handles it for you automatically. The issue there is that it's not really supported on the Mac. And that's a big sort of issue if you're creating apps. So in that instance, you almost have to fall back to a shared project if you need to do that conditional compilation without interfaces or just want to share some code. And for instance, Frank, I ran into this little puppy, which is a gem. I was doing a Signal R application with a Xamarin app, a .NET Core console app, and a Blazor <laughs> ASP.NET Core app. Love it. And the Blazor app has a special Blazor Signal R package, and it has different... Um, a different namespace and a different uh, um, kind of API, very similar, but a little bit different. So the problem there is that since I had a console.net core app and an ASP.net core app, they're both just net core apps. And even multi-targeting was impossible for me to get it correct to compile it all. So I said, you know what? Screw it. Shared project. Boom. Conditional compile because I was never going to share this code outside of this solution. So that's when I when I yeah. And you spoke some truth there. I, you know, I don't even think about multi-targeting just because it hasn't come to the Mac. Uh, yeah, at least for the platforms I care about, obviously, iOS, Android, Mac. Um, I need, I want multi-targeting to work with those. And I know on Windows it works and I'm so jealous and I want to work on Windows, but I'm a Mac user. So I don't get them. But 100%, once we have multi-targeting working on the Mac, I'm switching to it because there are so many cons uh, to shared projects. Honestly, there are just bugs in the IDE when working with them. The editor sometimes gets confused of which project it should be showing the code for, the IntelliSense for, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, Pretty much harmless bugs, but, you know, they annoy you after enough time. And so I am full, full steam ahead uh, on the multi-targeting projects, and I can't wait for them to, yeah, be working. (laughs) Yeah, and it's all tooling. And once the tooling is complete and really good to go, then it's still good. And I still really wouldn't recommend multi-targeting to people. It's very complex. You know, we have issues with essentials all the time. Not yet. The tooling's not not finished, even on PC. It works. 
for us, yeah. for people that are like, I will put up <laughs> with the shenanigans because of this. But for <laughs> I'm file new developer, I'm getting started. No, don't do that. Not That's there, huh? Too bad. Okay. Well, All right. Next topic. We're yeah, over. We're over time. We're over next time, topic. Frank. Next topic. We're going into the future with this one, James. Luce asks, what do you think? What are you most looking forward to, James, in Xamarin Forms 5.0? Not 4.0. 5.0. So tell <laughs> oh. me, what, what, what's your top 10 for Xamarin, 5, Xamarin Forms 5? Well, I, you know, I am very excited for Xamarin Forms 4.0. There's some nice features in there, such as the collection view that the shell is going to be in there. Uh, I'm not sure how much of the shell I use. I need to try it in my apps. <laughs> Seems nice. For 5.0, what I would love, there'll probably be a bunch of dot releases, is I would love the team to button up and just say, hey, listen, we are going to have a bullet list of all of the controls that other platforms or even the core platforms have, and we're going to just make it happen. We're going to take them and it shouldn't, I don't want it to be a year. I want it to be like, Hey, we're going to do a big release. We're going to slap tons of new controls over the next three months, right? We're going to put out four, do bug fixes for that. And then we're just going to do a big five release. And what it does, it puts like toggle overlays. It puts radio buttons. It puts my checkbox in there. It puts a segmented control in there. It puts in all these little nitty gritty controls that I just want in my app. And I, you know, that's my, my dream for Xamarin forms is to be this mega toolbox. And I don't even care if it's not a hundred percent real control. And, and we're seeing it probably for the first time with my checkbox where we're hand drawing mm. a control and we need to be okay with that, you know? Uh, so I would love to see them. Hey, 5.0, here's all of the things that you've requested from our top apps that we know modern applications need nowadays. I just want to see all of that in there. So it's not any fancy features. It's not fancy navigation features, not this or that. It's, it's, it's literally just more controls. That's all I want. Just give me more controls. Wow. That's super cool. And, you know, I never really had that vision of Xamarin Forms. For me, it's always been this small little mobile library. But the moment you said uh, a, a plethora of controls, immediately I was thinking back to uh, Delphi that I used to use. And I always claimed that I was a Visual Basic programmer. And I was, I was. I spent years being a VB programmer. But I jumped ship over to Delphi uh, to, uh, using Object Pascal. And honestly, one of the reasons I did it was just how large their built-in library was. Mm -hmm. And it, it was staggering. Uh, I remember this was like VB4 timeframe. And the tool palette had maybe... 30 items on it, like 10 of which you actually used, whereas Delphi would ship with 120. And yeah, you still only use about 30 of them, but now you have like such a selection to think through and all that. And so you're just, ooh, you're peaking that interest in my head. And like once you said a bunch of controls, I was like, yeah, why isn't it that? <laughs> yeah, I, I want more of that. I want... I want, give me the snack bars, give me an expansion panel, give me a bottom sheet, give me, you know, the checkbox, the radio, you know, advanced text fields, give me fancy buttons, give me icon buttons, give me popover menus, give me floating action buttons, give me, you know, you know, I don't even care if they're, here's a button five ways, give me all the buttons, give me all the buttons, yeah. I want them all, you know. <laughs> Honestly, I'm thinking about modern web frameworks, uh, modern CSS web frameworks that have all those tools, and they have gotten quite sophisticated. If you look back at early Bootstrap, it was a bunch of buttons and some title bars and a menu or something. But nowadays, it's I think it is hundreds of controls at this point and with tons of customization. So you're right. We, we should have that. And I think we did have that world back in the WinForms VB Delphi days, and we just kind of lost it a little bit. It would be totally fun to return to that. I don't have too many expectations for Xamarin Forms 5.0 because, you know, in my view of the world, Xamarin Forms does what I want it to be. It is my a de facto cross-platform library. If I want to have a control that runs on a million different apps with a unified uh, million different uh, platforms with a unified interface, I default to Xamarin Forms. And it, it's, I don't do Xamarin Forms first apps, but I am more than happy to pull in Xamarin Forms as a dependency and embed forms into my apps. And in that role, Xamarin Forms works so well for me that I actually, I don't have much to say other than like, keep it bug free, <laughs> keep it working. <laughs> 
it's true. <laughs> keep it's it small. True. Keep it fast. You know, just keep the keep the quality high for people like me. Yeah, I should say that there's tons of other performance things. And of course, I want, you know, in oh, general, I mean, always, always. <laughs> yeah, like, particularly um, the Mac list view, I think is kind of a train wreck. So I would yeah. love to see that fixed for Xamarin Forms 5.0. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, there. That's my hope. <laughs> yeah. Well, that brings us to our sponsor. Last sponsor read for this sponsor this year, because it's literally the last day of the year. It's our good friend's over at Sync Fusion, and you know what? When Xamarin Forms doesn't have it, they have it in the box because Xamarin Forms has tons of great things, but Sync Fusion has you covered with over 800 controls, widgets, processing for anything. Whether you're building Xamarin apps, UWP apps, uh, web applications based on ASP.NET or Angular, React, or Vue, they have you covered. They have your charts, your graphs, the things that you probably know Sync Fusion for, but they have more. They have data grids, calendar controls backdrop controls, carousel views, parallax views, buttons, chips, map overlays, guide or gauges, um, range selectors, spark lines, tree maps, badge views, different indicators. They have everything. And on top of that, they also have great processing libraries such as Excel, PDF, Word, and PowerPoint. You want to display a PDF? Boom, they got a PDF displayer. You want to read in the data from an Excel spreadsheet? Boom, they got the Excel spreadsheet. Good to go. So where do you go to get started? Well, all you got to do is go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. You'll find all about the amazing controls that they have to offer. Uh, I'm just looking through. They're always coming out with new things all the time. It's delight to have Syncfusion sponsoring merge conflict yet again. Uh, I highly recommend you give them a look. If you're building any application for any platform, take a look at the controls. And thanks to Syncfusion for sponsoring this episode of Merge Conflict. Ba-da-da-da. Wow. 800. Did you ever say that number before? Did I always just blank 800 controls? Oh, actually, I'm looking my at their God. website now. It's now more than 1,000 components. And oh, frameworks. my gosh. So. <laughs> and I was just talking about 100, how, how nice 100 was. Wow, 800. That's awesome. And uh, I was also thinking uh, WinForm source code was released, and I was looking particularly at DataGrid. And did you see how many lines of code it was? It was like 8 billion lines of code. And so don't write your own data grid. Don't do it. It's too hard. <laughs> Use someone else's data grid. Yeah, don't do it. I'm against it. I'm just even like, they have, there's just so many nice little things that they have. I'm like, oh, you know what? I just need to go all in and get my next app. I'm just, it's everything. Just all sync fusion. All sync, everything <laughs> is sync fusion. All the, but that's the thing is I want more because if you do more of the base controls that then challenges, I don't want to, you know, you know, belittle anyone, but it challenges all of the different vendors out there, you know, sure. Syncfusion, other ones, it pushes them farther to do more beyond the box, right? Because why does Syncfusion have to do mm-hmm. a checkbox? They shouldn't have to do a checkbox, right? For we real. Should, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, all right, Frank, what's next on our list? I think we have ooh, one oh, for you. Yeah. Yes. Yes, sir. We were, we got to do a little bit of IoT and a little bit of engineering one. You know, I, I always got to bring it back down to the hardware. And for this one, we have a great uh, question, comment, suggestion from Justin. And all I have here is fun with microprocessors. But we're, let's talk about uh, what's going on in the world with little microprocessors, because that's the stuff I'm kind of into. And this year, um, Miguel de Acasa, ding, he... Uh, he was talking about Risk Five, Risk V. What am I supposed to call it? R I S C V. <laughs> I never had to say that out loud before. And this is a new instruction set, which is a new microprocessor architecture. New as in, you know, whatever, ten years old, but new to me. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the cool thing about it is it's open source. Mm. And there's 64-bit versions of this thing. And there's floating point versions. There's vector versions of it. So this seems to be the new processor architecture on the block. Whereas we always had x86 and Pentium in my day. Those were the the big ones. And then we all moved on to ARM with our mobile devices. And now ARM has taken over the world, that instruction set. And it looks like RISC-V is going to be the next big instruction set, particularly because it's licensed encumbered. And so you have a lot of small manufacturers building lots of fancy, interesting new microprocessors based on this architecture. And that is super exciting, I think, just in the global world of computing, just in the, you know, large trends of computation devices. I think it's a very exciting time. Yeah, it was really funny to me when he tweeted about risk architecture, because it reminded me of one of my 
top movies that has not aged well, Hackers, which I'm sure that you're well aware of. Because <laughs> the planet. They're they're looking at they're looking at some like laptop or whatever and they're like, well, it has like a active matrix of screen and risk architecture. <laughs> and then he's all like, risk is good. And I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> is so, that line there? I could okay. Mm-hmm. I can totally see him saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty pretty great. So then I I tweeted a, a YouTube video back to Miguel on that. And I got Did lots you? of yeah. Okay. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, so this is happening a lot. And so there are actually um, really cheap processors out there. But just in general, the world is really nice in the small processor space. You can buy these um, SP8266 chips, which is its own instruction set. No, you know, it's all proprietary and all that. But the stupid things are cheap and small and low power, and you can put lots of stuff on them. And just in general, this IoT world has really taken off and you know i used to think the raspberry pi was so impressive <laughs> and it and it was for its time but we, we've gone so far beyond it at this point where the raspberry pi was a system on a chip it was the same processor that was in our phones but put onto a little board and that was interesting mm. but now we're getting all this nice custom hardware this really tiny hardware tailored to problem domains people are putting neural engines on chips just like the iPhone has, uh, so that you can run neural networks very quickly on very low power hardware. And so it's really just this IoT world taking off. Hmm. Yeah, for me, this really isn't my domain, uh, to be honest with you. My domain is more Mm -hmm. in the desktop mobile division. Over the years, Mm -hmm. I've had several different microprocessors and IoT devices that have come across my desk, the Raspberry Pis, the Netduinos of the day. And it never felt to me as if it was approachable. Uh, And that was my problem. For me, it was, and and I've given presentations on Netduino before, and it was a little bit more approachable, but it never felt correct for me. It never felt Mm -hmm. as if it was a first class, you know, platform supported. So I'm excited for some of the things that are happening in the .NET Core space to support some of those devices like the Raspberry Pi uh, directly. Mm-hmm. But I'm also excited for the stuff that our good friend Brian is doing over at Wilderness. Uh, and, you know, as a yeah. Kickstart, we both were a Kickstart backer of the Meadow board, which is his kind of thought process and their, I should say, their thought process of what yeah. a .NET mm-hmm. powered uh, little microprocessor should be. So I'm excited for that because... Mm-hmm. I, I thought that what was nice about it is I kickstarted the kit that had everything. I don't have to piecemeal it together. <laughs> I'm not a wizard, right? I want to do something with it and I'm not sure yet. Yeah. So that's what I guess I'm excited for in, in, in the in the world of how to maybe 2019, 2020 will be how do we make that stuff approachable in general? That's mm-hmm. kind of my thought process. Yeah, I was even going to say it's not any more approachable than it's ever been, unfortunately, Um, especially with those proprietary architectures like that Esperif one I was mentioning. Their SDK is horrendous. It's an SDK straight out of the 90s. You know, it's just flashbacks to electrical engineering trying to get software to run. So, yeah, I applaud. (laughs) I applaud Brian for uh, getting getting us.NET developers a nice, clean little board to work with. Yeah. Well, kind of along that lines, also from Justin. Justin, I think, just put out a bunch of topics on Twitter. And uh, (laughs) Justin was like, hey, for a new developer, a new developer, how do you start to even think about recommending learning a language or learning a platform in 2019, I guess, going into it? And this, to me, was a very hard topic. And it's come up many a times on the podcast. I think we have did an entire podcast about learning new languages. But of course, it was not from a... I'm a brand new, brand new, brand new developer, you know, and times have really changed for for me. I put out a blog uh, two years ago that was getting started with, you know, um, getting started with and learning C sharp. And it was about, you know, you need some IDEs. There's some great video series from like Bob Tabor and, you know, pick, pick what you want to do, right? Do you want to build a mobile app? Do you want to build a windows app? Do you want to build a WPF app, a website, you know, pick what you want to start with, but necessarily picking the language doesn't mean that that's going to be the final language you learn. If you go learn Python, you go learn JavaScript, that doesn't mean that you have to stick to JavaScript. It's just the language that you get started in. And I almost feel as if this is going to sound a little blasphemy, but probably Mm -hmm. 
learning a web type language first is almost easier nowadays because you can do almost so much online as far as tutorial and learning. It's a good introductory step. I know that Microsoft Learn and the C Sharp online REPL stuff is is really good. But at the same time, like you're in a browser and it's running JavaScript and you can just how JavaScript itself works is very impressive. And I hope that WebAssembly gets us there for C Sharp. But yeah. I, I don't know where necessarily there's there's the udacities. There's the you know pick how you want to learn. <laughs> I guess do you want to read? Do you want to go by doing? There's the learning platforms like Microsoft Learn. There is Udacity. There's Pluralsight. There's YouTube. There's Twitch streaming. There's all those things. So I guess to me it's really hard because everyone learns different. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what your thoughts are, yeah. Frank. Oh, I struggle with this one too. Um, I, part of it was I just, it's hard to put yourself back into that mindset. Unfortunately, I learned a program when I was younger, so it's hard for me to look back and remember, you know, how did I learn? It's hard to have that metacognition of mm. all of that. And the truth is I just learned slowly over a long period of time, which isn't what you want to hear as an adult. You know, that's fine for a kid, but as an adult, you want to learn it and get it and, you know, get a job and get working in it. Um, unfortunately, that's not the path I took. I wrote viruses and basic on my uncle's computers that filled up the hard drive and tried to black out the screen constantly. You know, that's how I learned how to program. And from there, for me, it was just all practice, 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 which is why it's easier when you're a kid, because you just have an infinite amount of time to do everything. And as an adult, what you said about your first language not mattering, or it, as in you're not going to use perhaps your first language day to day. The truth is, if you're going to be a programmer, you're going to learn lots of languages. Uh, you and I are both .NET programmers, but we're both comfortable in non-.NET languages. We can get by. We're fine. And that's the truth of it. Eventually, you're going to just learn a bunch of them, and you're going to learn the commonalities and the differences. So in some regards, your first language doesn't matter. Uh, the last time I did teach a language was JavaScript. And my whole argument was distribution. Um, I was teaching kids and they could make an HTML page and have anyone open it up and it ran. No one had to install anything. No one had to do anything. JavaScript is not an ideal language to teach kids. It has all the worst features of C. <laughs> uh, syntax gets in the way of learning in the beginning. So the less syntax you have uh, for students seems to be the best because it's just a bunch of crud that they have to learn. But on top of that, um, if, if someone actually wants a career in programming, you do need to learn a type system. You can get quite far uh, with Python and JavaScript, obviously, you can build infinitely large systems with them. But at some point, you're going to have to learn how the machine understands what an integer is and what a floating point number is. You can avoid that knowledge for quite a while and be a successful developer, but you are going to hit that fence at some point. You are going to have to learn how the type system works and how microprocessors work. And for that, um, I do prefer <laughs> to teach typed languages like C Sharp or uh, F sharp, honestly, um, what a world, what a topic. How, how do you learn how to program James? I don't know. It, it's an, it's an infinite mountain that you just keep climbing up for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, to, to me, it's a hard question because I, you know, like I said, everyone does learn very, very different, but at the same time, you, you're right. As far as learning what you just said about JavaScript is like anyone can then run it. You can easily distribute it across. But for me, I, I actually enjoy learning C, C++ first. That was my first, well, I, you know, I would, ooh, let me go back. I guess I got into <laughs> development because I learned, I guess I was writing some PHP, HTML, Cool. And building blog websites at the time and getting into it. I was using a CMS system, but I was doing customizations. So I was tinkering with something pre-built, which mm. I was learning by yeah. by modifying, which was, I thought was fun. And oh yeah. That was a good practice. And then I got into C C, which I enjoyed. I skipped my basic class in school, but mm -hmm. C C took me a long, long distance uh, in general. And then I found a type system oh, with yeah. C sharp and I never looked back. I mean, I wrote the Java, I've written the JavaScript, the TypeScript, the PowerShell scripts, the the bash scripts, the all the scripts, all the things. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think you're right. I think the type system really helped me. It helped me understand 
when I'm creating a person, what is that, what is that doing? What does that mean? Uh, you know, where is that thing going? Is it on the stack or is it on the heap? Where is, how is that memory managed back and forth? And it allowed me to do a lot of different things from games to printer software to mobile apps and, and to <laughs> websites. Right. So, so I think you're, I think you're right in that regard. We've gone way over time, but, uh, to me, one recommendation I have for getting started is try to just learn the base systems first. So this is more for the web side of things, because if you're learning C sharp, you're just learning C sharp, but you don't need to go all crazy with all the new crazy features. But if you're learning JavaScript, like learn vanilla JavaScript, you know, don't learn yeah. the type scripts and the Node.js's and the, the whiz bang that'll come, you know, but you got to start somewhere. And I almost think is the vanilla JavaScript is like the CC plus plus of my day, you know, it's the getting started. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And, and it's very satisfying. I found for students too the immediate feedback mm -hmm. you get with just plain um, JavaScript when you don't have to learn the command line, you don't have to learn a compiler. All you have to learn how to do is hit refresh in the browser and that's enough. And I think that simplicity helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. All right, last topic. <laughs> this might be a little doozy. We'll see how long it goes. But our good friend Samir, Patreon supporter, asked, hey, can you do a mobile platform retrospective slash look into the future? So where mobile is going is pretty open-ended as far as the development side. I don't know if he wanted you know, a breakdown of every mobile development platform. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not really into that necessarily, but... Maybe where iOS and Android in the landscape is going. I don't know. What are your thoughts that you want to talk about on this? Oh, yeah. I think we should just kind of take his suggestion and warp it to let's just do a little bit of a 2018 retrospective and a little bit of what are we looking forward to in 2019? Let's smother let's it out a little it. bit because mobile's fun, but we're all over the place, especially on this show, obviously. Uh, but I'll, I'll um, not mobile, but gosh, here's another web topic. Um, I'm a, I I uh, like all the stuff that we've been doing with WebAssembly this year. You've already mentioned it. So now we have C Sharp running properly in the browser again. Um, not not my cool Wii trick that I really love my library for, but now <laughs> the web browser is properly executing um, C Sharp. And just recently, the um, AOT is working, mm. which has really increased performance for WebAssembly.net code. And so um, I think that that's going to open up whole new um, opportunities and ways to write apps that just haven't been available before. And I'm going to put this under the mobile topic because the mobile browsers do run this. And so this just becomes another honestly, UI framework that you can use C-sharp for. So write your app in C-sharp and maybe you just want to use the web DOM as your UI framework because people love the web DOM. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> and um, that's become a properly viable option now. Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, WebAssembly definitely is of interest to me. I, For me, looking back at 2018, you know, it wasn't a super eventful year. A lot of things were almost forward looking, to be honest with you, because for my world, I still believe that there's this sort of doubling down on on Kotlin and Swift for iOS and Android development that has yet to reach its full maturity, if you will. I'm excited for those to come into its full full kind of finalization, if you will. And then on the .NET side of things, I'm really excited for the things that are happening next year. So, you know, that's the problem with Build almost. Like Build comes out like, well, we got .NET Core 3. We got C Sharp 8. We got all these <laughs> things. Like you get them in a year. So for me, like the look back yeah. was 27, 2018. I mean, it was a great year. It was a, it was a year where I didn't have to relearn something brand new. It wasn't, you know, there was new things throughout the year, but it wasn't this revolutionary breakthrough of whiz bang well check out this go learn a billion things i if i look back maybe at our podcast two years ago at this point perhaps you would hear me saying like there was too much right there was watches and tvs and and hollow lenses mm. and ipads mm. and this and that and to be honest i've sort of stripped back a little bit i'm like i'm just writing phone apps right i'm back to where i wanted to be yeah. i'm just i'm writing phone apps again and that's <laughs> where i want to be instead of we need to introduce a new platform every five seconds. And that's really <laughs> what it felt like, right? I mean, we, we, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, we have this thing and that thing and this thing. And oh my gosh, like, uh, and then you have to be 
oh, maybe I'll make all this money and I'll be the first one out of the gate to create the best watch app. Like, oh, no, the watch sucks. So let's not build watch apps anymore. Oh, no, the watch is getting. Oh, gosh. You know, so for me, like looking forward to next year, the exciting stuff is some of the stuff that we've talked about on the podcast. So all the changes to Donet Core, that Donet Core 3 is probably one of the fundamental largest changes that I see to .NET for a long time because of the desktop changes that they're doing. And I hope that they take that even further. I think taking further and having a singularity of, of .NET everywhere so people can, have, can stop thinking about .NET is like this interesting thing where it seems to be the only framework that you have to Developers have to worry about, is it running this framework or that thing or this .NET or that .NET or this mm -hmm. mono thing or this thing or thing? Like, nobody cares. Like, they just want to run the code, right? Like, I just want to run the C Sharp in yeah. the browser. Yeah. Just let me just do that. Just make it happen. <laughs> so getting rid of all of that, it's a legacy at this point and just how things have evolved. Sure, so sure. we can break past that. It's not going to be pretty, but I would love to see sort of that push forward. And, and uh, of course, C Sharp 8 seal a bunch of really cool features from other languages and, and still be revolutionary. <laughs> I would love going forward for for this push in .NET and C Sharp to not be a catch up game. I want I want and I work for Microsoft, obviously, but I want us to be a and I think we are <laughs> in many aspects, a, a forward looking company that's innovating with new features. I think of IntelliCode, for instance, what a revolutionary sort of breakthrough IntelliSense feature for me. I've turned it on because I realized that everything is available in 2017 too. You don't even need 2019 for these new features. And mm -hmm. I've just been so more productive. Like for me, it's all about making me more productive, make me write better code. And can I get all of that in everything that I write? And it's going to make me very happy and a very productive C-sharp developer. And that's going to make me very, very uh, happy and make me feel as if my career as a .NET developer is is very long tail. You know, I think I, I I always fear a lot of people that maybe are coming into different software. And like I'm going to learn no shade on Swift, but it's like if you only want to build Mac and iOS applications, like that's your platform. And then I look at the C sharp, and I'm very biased because it's the the language and platform that I love. Is gosh darn it, Frank, I can literally actually build for anything like you know, Microsoft's not just blowing steam around. It's, you know, and it's like literally when, I, when, <laughs> yeah. when you go, it's, yeah, it's just like you can build for these different things and not in the Java ask, but in the, we have kind of the nativeness uh, on all of them. And I appreciate that. Not that all of them are at the same level. Right. And that's what is interesting. And I would love to see 2019 come to that. How do we push things to similar levels? Like you were saying, pulling the Mac support up even a little bit more. So if I want to go build a Mac app, I, it feels like a one-to-one -one almost would be kind of interesting. That's my long tail answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's funny what, uh, what you're mentioning about um, WPF, and that's purely Microsoft putting their money where their mouth is. Um, I was on the team that helped write WPF. And that was a huge effort, a very expensive effort, a multi-year, very, very expensive effort. And now it's open source. <laughs> I mean, like, what? <laughs> it's it's mind-blowing. And so um, they're, they're doing everything I could ask, honestly, out of them. I mean, the open sourcing of WinForms, it's still blowing my mind. I just love reading that mm -hmm. source code. Um, but along these lines, slightly different, but along these lines, um, I'm still very much looking forward to Marzipan. This is the technology that will let us run iOS apps on Macs. And that's because, you know, we talk about being platform native all the time. And there is some pushback from the Mac community about, well, a Mac app should be a Mac app. I don't want to run iOS apps on the Mac. The news app, the stocks app, I've gotten a little bit of negative feedback. But the truth is, all the big vendors are unifying their operating systems. Microsoft unified on UWP and Windows 10. It's a mobile and desktop platform. Apple has to do it. There, it's it's a money thing and it's a resources thing. And it's sad, yes, you wish the world, you know, you wish every individual platform could be a unique little snowflake and all that stuff. But uh, th there's money, there's time, there's effort. And I would rather see concentrated effort and uh, <clears throat> to make software better. So we can concentrate on iOS and the Mac will receive benefits from it. And that's not only from Apple's perspective, but that's from me as an app developer. 
to just be able to have my software running on more and more platforms. And in this case, without having to do much work, <laughs> the best kind of cross-platform where I don't have to do anything. And I'm just excited for this unification of the mobile and desktop OSs. It does make me wonder for the future now that mobile and desktop have unified to such a degree are we opening a space for a new operating system? And are we going to put ourselves backwards 10 years in the past and write on small things in the new OS again? Maybe that's what we're doing with IoT and maybe that's what we're doing with uh, other things. But uh, in general, I'm very excited for this trend of just making it easier for app developers to release their stuff. And along these lines, there are more and more app stores coming out. Epic has a game store. Steam has their game store. Everyone's running their own app store these days, and they're becoming competitive. And this competition is having um, good good effects for developers because, um, well, the tax, the 30% tax that Apple charges is lower on other platforms because of this competitive store world. It's kind of a crazy wild, wild west thing now that I'm speaking out loud about it and thinking it through, but uh, you got to shake things up a little bit and it's an exciting time. Yeah. You brought up quite a few excellent, topics in that area i don't want to go no no no, (laughs) it's really good i was rambling a bit (laughs) no i i i feel as if you know the the marzipanification is something i totally forgot about until you you know brought it up again even though flipping through we did a whole episode on it and that is a super exciting (laughs) one for me maybe it's like well maybe we don't have to get better because we'll just let that happen and that will be a a good in (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, and i think we talked about that and i you know i don't even think it'll be this next year with the unification that Google's doing uh, with uh, what is their thing called? Oh, gosh. Is Chrome OS merging with Android? Did I miss some no, news? No, Fuchsia. Fuchsia is the new Skia-powered hi- hybrid. It, it, there's a lot of architecture in there. Uh, Miguel no, diagrammed it. we don't need it. another OS. It's an, it's an OS <laughs> oh, that will run all of the, the apps, though existing but it's a unification of it it's it's the next kind of generation and and you know and that's it's like their uwp then it's kind of like their uw google's uwp yeah because if you think about the world of google what do they have they have chrome os they have android they have um chrome itself i guess chromium yeah, you know, okay. they have different things for tablet electron electron I throw that in the Google camp. Yeah. So they have all these different things that they kind of mush and they're going to mush a bunch of things together and because they have Android things, they have all these different things. Right. So they uh, want to mush those all together. So unification will be interesting there. Marzipan, definitely more interesting in the short term. Uh, and, and you're right. I I want to be able to write all the apps, but I don't necessarily have time to write all the apps and the investment that the companies, they just won't do it you know, or only be the largest of the largest companies that have the ability to do it. And, and for us to be independent developers or small web shops or dev shops to be able to go to those other platforms shouldn't be impossible or shouldn't feel like, um, it's impossible to go to. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. We got to keep Xamarin forms running on the web so we can, we'll have everything everywhere. Yes. I love, I love our little world that we've created. (laughs) It is. It is a beautiful, tiny, little, beautiful, gorgeous, actually very, very large world that we've created. (laughs) So yeah, it turns out, turns out (laughs) it feels small sometimes. Well, I think that's going to do it, Frank. Anything else you want to talk about? Yeah. Oh, it was a good year, but I do have a couple quick notes for you, James. Last year, you were talking about NuGet download records you were setting. Are you proud of your NuGet performance over the last year? That's a good question. Uh, let's take a look here. I'm going to log in right now as we speak. All right. Let's see how I'm doing. Pro- just some just some catch up topics. Yeah, uh, I've hit recently 14 million installs. That seems good. Good job. Good job. <laughs> bravo. Bravo. Now, now that is to say, of course, that what I would like to see is all of my packages slowly, slowly get no more installs and Xamarin Essentials get all the installs. So. Oh, that's right. You want to see the transition. Yeah, it takes time, unfortunately, but I guess we'll do a PSA right now. If you're like me and using one of James' super old janky libraries, let's go get go get the new hot stuff and delete that stuff and go get the Xamarin Essentials. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm scrolling through my my Twitter feed because I know I tweeted out the numbers at some point in time of all of my 
of all of my NuGet downloads. Oh, I'm going to try to find it. <laughs> it's in here. I'm in April. Oh, see, I thought you would have it off the top of your head. I thought you checked every night and you had a little ticker going. <laughs> a little confetti would stream down at appropriate moments. You thought I like DevOps and put a Power BI dashboard in front of it? Now that would be great. Oh, wouldn't that be sweet? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um... I'm in February. Okay. Well, I won't put you on the stop on the spot. It's fine. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Did you? Uh... I'm scrolling. Hold on. It's getting, <laughs> oh, there we go. Five million was a year ago. So in one year, I went from five million to fourteen million. You know, that is quite impressive because I think I made the joke on the show that I wanted to see you move up by powers of two, two million, four million, eight million, sixteen million. So you did it. I did it. You did it, man. I did it. Bravo. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Uh, what else? Now let's get those numbers down to zero. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh no. Um, but I just um one thing I just follow up last year, I said we weren't going to do commitments or what are they called? Resolutions. And I totally didn't, but then I totally did. I said I was going to release iCircuit 2 this year and I totally didn't. Oh. So um, bad on me, but I'm still working on it. So I'm still proud of myself. It's going to be the year of 2019. That's going to be the good one for me personally. <laughs> did I have any New Year's resolutions? I hope not. Please no. I don't remember yours. I'm too narcissistic to pay attention. I would like to <laughs> short-term New Year's resolution is to update all of my apps to the latest version of stuff and get things working again. I think yeah. all my apps are like in a half-broken state, so I need to Oh just, no. <laughs> like you know, so it's kind of oh, well, you know, it's not that things are 100% broken, but sort of on like on Android, my step counter app no longer works because they changed some API. But I'm like, nah, I got Android fit now. So it's like, eh, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> and they probably look terrible on the iPhone 10. You have to update all your safe area insets for everything. This is what I'm talking. Yeah, it's a year of catch yeah. up. But I, my, I, what I would really like to get into is, um, surprisingly, is my a resolution of really actually learning web development and whether that's asp.net oh, cool. or something else i would like to laser yeah <laughs> why well, you know i did the Wii, but it's not i don't know i want to i want to have you want, you want the the vanilla js of web development not Got not it. necessarily Got not it. necessarily vanilla js but in that vein <laughs> you know yeah. Cool. Cool. Back to the nineties. Wonderful. Exactly. That's my new year's <laughs> resolution to so go back 20 hack, years. Hack the planet, James. Hack the planet. Precisely. Precisely. What about you? New year's resolutions on your end? Release iCircuit 2? No, I learned my lesson. I'm never doing it. No, 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 no responsibility. No, uh, no, no one can rub their... There you go. Nope. No commitments. No responsibility. Nice. The end. Anything else on your list? Don't put it on me. Anything else on your list? No. All right. That's plenty. Well, Frank, thank you so much for yet another amazing year of of being my friend and recording this podcast. Um, it's been... Absolutely, James. Yeah, we should have... Highlight of the year is this podcast. I still joke. It's the longest running job I think I've held so far in my career. <laughs> well, and thanks for all of our listeners that have stuck with us through 130 episodes, whether you were from day zero or just join this this uh, this podcast. Uh, welcome, and, and let's have a great 2019. And feel free, of course, to reach out to us anytime. I'm at James Montemagno at Procalarum. The podcast is at MergeConflict.fm, or just go to the website, MergeConflict.fm. You can find all of the episodes. You can find past guests. You can uh, look at how to become a sponsor, a Patreon subscriber, and supporter, and, of course, how to contact us. There's a contact button. You can feel free to reach out to us on the Twitters, or just send us an email. We love that stuff too. So I think it's going to do it for this year. Until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.